Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Jen, and in my role as a professional communicator, I prefer headset mics that go over both ears. They're less likely to get knocked around by my oversized earrings. This is not a lie, this is real talk. I'm Lara and I accidentally specialize in the use of nonverbal cues to communicate. They say that less than 10% of communication is our actual words. I use an awful lot of words, but my face still says it all. Yes, podcasting irony noted. Today we are going to talk about communication, particularly as it relates to change management. This is not about leaders making grand speeches or fancy newsletters. This is the communication that comes in spurts, details, difficult questions, and experience. It is hard work and rewarding work. Let's talk about communicating. Well, as Laura said, here we are in week three, having a conversation about change management. And today we want to talk about the communication side of things. And I think we all know that communication is always a sticky point. I have decided that you can be world champion communicators. And one of the primary concerns in your organization is still going to be communication. And I think it's just because it's central to everything we do. We all communicate communicate differently. It's an ongoing process. And so today we're going to focus on that. And as we get ready to do that, I want to go back really quickly and review the first four reality checks we've hit in this. The first one was that change is personal. Don't pretend it isn't. I think we definitely talked about that. We've gotten some good feedback from our listeners that you know that that one is true. The second reality check that everybody loves change and wants it as long as they're not the ones actually required to change. And that one's incredibly personal. Laura and I both love to change things. Just don't change the things we like. And then the third one, every change needs an activating ingredient. Last week we talked about the key people, the key motivators. What does it take to get change really happening? And then the fourth one being that change is not always obvious. And this one was our catching point of You need to be honest about the why you're actually changing and then what it is that needs changed. There's no room for ambiguity there. And so as we head into this um, conversation on communication, as it relates, we're going to add our fifth reality check, which is that change communication is never done. Never. That extra never is very necessary. We all know communication is ongoing. Laura, what would you say is your favorite way to communicate? Let's just start there. My favorite way to communicate is probably 
I was going to say texting. And then I realized that was going to open up a whole lot of um, follow-up <laughs> questions and have no applicability to the, what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> but let's be honest. I like to text, but let's dig into that. Why do I like to text? Because it's a clear, rapid communication, typically speaking. They can be on clear amusingly. But typically speaking, it is to the point. It is clear. It's easily acknowledged and returned. And you move on. And I think that in and of itself starts to tell us a little bit about what effective communication looks like um, very quickly, because I will tell you that a pitfall of effective communication is trying to make it so fancy and so much that you lose your message along the way. And I think that's a particularly significant challenge when it comes to change communication and leads us right into it. So I'm going to take back my hesitation. My favorite way to communicate <laughs> is text. I'm owning it and we're learning from it. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that communication in change management is not poetry. It should not be flowery. We're not looking for the extras. We're looking for clear, direct communication. And I like it. We have talked about this before that clarity trumps certainty every single time blows it out of the water and and so texting definitely creates space for that um laura do you find that in that texting realm is it is it good space and able space for you to say tough stuff not always and that's where the analogy ends so okay. way to just stick that <laughs> in the like right out of the gate Jen so that was exciting for me for three minutes listeners Jen has already ruined the fun um I think that is where texting ends is an analogy that we're going to carry forward right because I think when we talk about it you already said number one in change communication is clarity but a sub part of that item is that you have to be clear about the tough stuff and be very straight forward in your communication that you're trying to get said differently you have to say the hard thing to me in my experience with instituting change organizational change even personal change the hardest part of the actual communication is the willingness to say the thing you know people may not want to hear so what you either do is distract from the core of the message by trying to put the lipstick on the pig as the saying goes right you end up with so much lipstick that you completely lose track of what you were trying to say um or you never actually even say the hard thing you end up completely avoiding it and you fail to communicate what you set out to communicate so i would tell um, our listeners that if you honestly take nothing else out of the next 35 minutes of this podcast but please keep listening please 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 keep listening and leave a review when you're done please um but is that a clear message please leave a review um, I really do think that that willingness to say the hard thing and say it clearly is the bottom line in change communication. And I think that's important and it stems right from where we ended last week with that idea that if you're not saying the hard thing, then chances are you aren't acknowledging what you're changing, why you're changing it, what are the key realities that are taking place. So you're muddying the waters, which makes change that more difficult. Because as we've said again and again and again, change by its very nature is difficult. It's personal, it's disruptive, it's challenging. And so we have to remove the barriers we can remove. And that means as leaders, it's on us to say the hard thing. And I think another piece of this as we're talking about clarity is that it's just as important to be clear about what's not changing 
as it is to be clear about what is changing. I think these can be some key moments organizationally to to remember to plant your flags on some value statements of, you know, this is still important to us. So even as we change this, know that we're changing this structure, this organization, this process, but we're not changing this value. I know for me, and I've talked about this value, I'm sure several times on this podcast, but organizationally, one of ours that comes out the most is better, not more. And we've been in a year where as you pivot, adapt, do all the things, more creeps in a lot because we're having to do more things to to bridge the gaps and to fill the holes and, you know, just do all the things right now. And I find myself having to be really clear about saying, look, we are not changing this value. Our value is still we want to do the right things in the best way possible, not just a bunch of things. And so as we change this, and yes, on the surface, this feels like more, know that this value still holds. I agree with you entirely. The caution I want to offer is that in the process of communicating what you're not changing, do not forget to come around to what you are changing. So y'all are going to find out that I am a total stick in the mud at this point on this. You have to get to the core hard message. I have personally experienced being so busy trying to say these are the things we're going to uphold and stay with that you never actually say here's what we're changing mm -hmm. and then the mystery of what is changing leads to a lot of internal consternation um, people start going out and saying okay the whole point of that was to tell us that something's going to change but all we heard is what's staying the same so they walk away wondering what's going on so I love the point being made and I fully agree you have to communicate what's staying the same and you need to communicate what's changing but do not take the easy route of letting what's going to change and the hard message be a default for folks to sort out on their own that's a good caution flag Laura that I, I really do appreciate that and just to even follow that with my illustration there's definitely been moments where I've had to say to my team this is going to be better and more and so know that that's true know that I know it and so acknowledging that there is a more component to that moment, particular moment of change is really important. I think the other thing that we're talking about when we talk about clarity as a key in change management is that with change, no matter how carefully and how much you acknowledge and how much you identify and how, how clear your leadership is, change always brings unexpected because it's change it's new it's different and so part of clarity is recognizing the moments when when you need to admit that you don't understand the full impact of the change or you don't know how to anticipate all of the consequences of what you're doing those are really important things to say out loud in the midst of a change process. Yeah, it's really important to say out loud. And I'm gonna use that as a transition here for uh, to move to another part of what's important about communication and change. So the big takeaway here is be clear, say the hard thing is our first part. Next, I do think that um, being specific, which is what you're starting to get us to, Jen, is also a really important part of change communication. Um, you can say, we are going to change the way we process orders going forward. Well, what the heck does that mean, right? Um, <laughs> 
that, but I've seen comms that say things like that, right? I think it's really, really important and challenging. I think this is hard work, but you need to very quickly get specific when you are communicating about and talking about change with people, um, because that's when the communication becomes meaningful and takes um, and starts to take hold in your organization or with the group that you are trying to lead through change. If you continue to make high level statements, you're going to lose the interest of your audience, you're going to lose the confidence of your audience, and you're going to again, leave creative minds up to interpret. And unfortunately, um, I don't think there's a formal axiom that I know of, but we all know there's a practical axiom that says, when left to wonder creatively, thoughts become negative. It is unusual if not a never that when people are left with a vacuum to get creative in that they come up with the positive oh this is going to be great things right so you yes. need to get specific quickly um and this is in the trenches hard detailed work which takes me back to reminding everybody why it's so important to staff going through a change someone's going to have to do the really hard work of figuring out what the specifics are before you can even communicate them Mm -hmm. I think that's true. And Laura, that does make me think, this is a small rabbit trail if you'll permit me, but we've talked several times about staffing according to those things. And I want to bring up the fact that sometimes what happens in change management is that you do have to be willing to let go of some other pieces that people would normally do and name some functions that are going to have to go on autopilot to make space for that. And so I just say that quickly to say that it's not always that you can add a person or completely redelegate. Sometimes you've got to own, this is a change moment. We're putting the resources behind it, which means this is the piece that we're not going to deal with right now. And so I think it relates because again, it's a communication piece. But every time we talk about that staffing piece, I guess maybe it is my lens toward a smaller organization. I get anxious because I'm like, ah, there's not there's no one else or and I think it, it there is enough and it's it's noted knowing that we're making a change it's important if we're if we're going through the process of changing it's important enough to say we're going to focus on this which means we're not going to focus on this thing over here so sorry that was a quick rabbit trail but hopefully one that helps some people because as we talk about this specificity too we really are assigning some new roles. And I'll give another illustration here for, for what it might be worth to help people get its get heads around it. One of the big overarching statements we've found ourselves talking about is that we've got to engage with people differently and we've got to engage with people on deeper levels. Now we keep making these overarching statements in our organization because again, we're dealing with a community of people. You might be dealing with customers um, and, and we're all looking for different ways to connect with them based on current environments. And so we say things like our engagement mechanisms have to change, but the vacuum you're talking about is if you leave it there, people start to go, oh, what else can I do? And it just feels like there's already these things. They immediately move into the overwhelmed mode. Whereas when you can get specific 
and say things like, okay, so we're going to base it on the way someone chooses to engage with us. If someone engages with us via our, our online website contact form, then we are immediately going to take that context to the next personalized level we can get to, which might be that if someone engages us through the website, they've given us an email. Now we're going off of a company website and we're going to do a one-to-one email communication that makes that engagement more specific. So that's just a quick example of taking a general idea, but then giving everybody the immediate modes of what this means is for every engagement, we go one deeper. And Let's talk about what that looks like for each level, each piece of the engagement. What's the next level? Now everyone's clear and they don't have room to get overwhelmed about how they're going to do that. I think that's fair. And I think that is the very classic concept of here are our focus points. And a lot of times you put out a lot focus points. We're going to engage differently or better, right? To Mm -hmm. use the example you were carrying forward. Focus points are meaningless if you don't talk about the levers you're going to pull to activate them. And that, again, is a type of specificity. How do you say that word? Specificity. Specificity. I can't say that word. I am not, as you said, a professional (laughs) communicator with a Britney Spears mic. And there's a reason I'm not one. Um, You know, like that's a form of being specific. Here's our high level objective. Here are the levers we're going to pull to go about it. And I think the other thing that you have to be specific about that you were dancing around there a little bit is um, that you have to acknowledge that there are things that you're not going to do not just the not going to change there are things that you're not going to do you started to go there um, as it relates to how you resource things Um, but i think also when you're choosing focus points things you're going to change things you're going to improve you have to acknowledge that you can't do everything i often and i've actually not introduced this specifically on our podcast yet but i like to refer to it as the um freeze and finish you got to freeze and finish and what i often mean by that is there comes a point that you have to freeze what your top priorities, your focus points, the things you intend to change, you know, all of those things, the amalgamation of those, you have to freeze that list and say, these are the things we're going after and then finish that list. Because one of the ways that you can convolute communication and particularly change communication is when you continually move the objective to the point that people have lost track of what's most important, what is being changed or not changed, um, and what they're supposed to prioritize and focus on and resource. So it's really important that you get this concept as you're being specific about change, of focus freeze and focus freeze and focus freeze and finish because you have focused which is the end game here that's what you really need to be thinking about and that helps deal with a concept we're going to get more into in the next two weeks which is change fatigue you have to be willing to freeze your overall plan and finish some things before you introduce some new ones so that you can overcome the fatigue. So Jen, that's a whole lot of F words um, that we are using here (laughs) to get through change management. I don't think that's entirely an irony that should be lost in this moment. I will allow those F words. In fact, those are gonna be some new favorite F words. I like that a lot. Freeze and finish, freeze and focus. Okay, so in an effort to practice what we're preaching here, what we're offering in terms of keys to effective communication, specifically when it comes to change, are that you've gotta have clarity and specificity. 
clarity and specificity. It, it begins and ends with creating those two things. So we're going to come back in the next segment and talk about uh, reality number six that is the flip side of this communication spectrum. We'll be right back. All right, Jen, today for Real Talk, it seems only appropriate that we should talk about serious communication failures and have a little fun with it. So I know that you have some very serious foodie communication things that are important to you, specifically around the sweet treats you like. So tell me a little bit, oh, I don't know, Jen, uh, how you feel about marshmallow peeps? <laughs> okay, this is actually, Laura said this was humorous. This is critical. I actually need everyone to take this very seriously. Um, I love marshmallows. I love them in s'mores. I love them on their own. I love them in ice cream. Not the solid kind, but the cream kind when it comes to ice cream. There are rules to this game. They should be followed. And I think it's really important to be clear and specific that peeps are not marshmallows. They're disgusting. I just need to be really clear about that and on the record with that. And so that goes down as a classic communication fail when you tell people you like marshmallows and they bring you peeps. That is just gross. Yeah, that is a very, very, very disgusting error. Mm -hmm. I think similarly, um, I tell people that I would like a, um, a chocolate chip cookie. I mean, I want a cookie that has chocolate chunks in it. I do not want you to bring me anything with nuts. I do not want you to bring me something that is chocolate in chocolate. And actually, what I really mean is I would like you to make chocolate chip cookie dough and have it available in the fridge for me to eat because I really don't even care about the fully baked cookie. There are nuances to communication that are very important um, in order to understand what's going on. I would also tell you there are some nuanced conversations with our kids, right? When I say do your homework, I don't mean use your Chromebook for the next two hours, submit nothing, and then tell me it's time to go to practice. I mean to actually do your homework means complete the work per the directions <laughs> and hit the submit button when you're finished so that we are truly done for the evening. Yeah. These are real things. That's why this is real talk. And so I will also offer beyond the food realm, although the food realm is real, these are real communication fails, especially if you're on a road trip and you can't go back and fix it. And so I, I like to get cookout milkshakes on road trips. And I believe that banana fudge is of all of the 40 flavors that they offer, the one true milkshake. Obviously, I have clear opinions about these things. And I remember one time on a road trip, I ordered a banana fudge milkshake and we were back off the exit and on the interstate when I realized it was a banana pudding milkshake that they had given me. That's disgusting. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, it, it was not a bad milkshake if I had ordered it. There were Nilla wafers ground up in there. It was not a bad thing, but it was not banana fudge, which is manna from heaven. So those are two different things, and then you can't go back and fix it. And I think it goes without saying, Laura, with a real talk, piece here to communication is that when you forget to share critical information with key players, it goes beyond a marshmallow incident to a real thing. And I will offer as a communicator that I have a books and books worth of communication fails that I could share. And I remember specifically in the early days of our church plant, we lost some high capacity volunteers over simple communication stuff. 
And while I would love for people to have stuck around long enough to sort that out, sometimes they just don't. And so communication really, really matters. And communication fails while they happen. And there should be grace for Nilla wafers instead of fudge in your milkshake. They can also be costly and they're also avoidable. So that's that's real talk on my end. It is time to keep on communicating about change and Jen and I are going to now flip the communication coin and get you right to reality check number six in change communication. And specifically here, it is that most change communicators forget the listening part of communicate. I'm gonna say it again. Most change communicators forget the listening part of communication. So I made light of it in the intro um, of today's episode, actually, right? This is not about leaders making grand speeches. We are not talking about the fancy newsletter. Yes, those could be components and actually are important components about change communication. But we need to remember that change communication is a holistic event. And part of very important in change communication is putting effective feedback loops in place and actually making sure that you are listening as people provide feedback over the course of a change. So Jen, I think that that could start really out of the gate. I'm going to bring up one that people know I love to hate surveys. Okay. So I've had some folks come in and do some change consulting with me at various points in, um, in my experience. And I remember one time I had a consultant come in and they wanted to use employee surveys to evaluate how the change was going, how things were being perceived, et cetera. And I can just tell you, I've shared on this podcast before that I was like, you have to be kidding me. Surveys, like they are just asking for trouble. Um, and what I learned in that process is actually as it relates to change, surveys are really effective because they're they're giving you feedback about how well you're communicating, what people are hearing, despite what you might be saying, um, where people need to hear more, where people need to hear less, um, and also where there's confusion in the organization. This is a place where despite my general disdain, <laughs> surveys have a really, really, really good purpose. I agree with you, and we've both ranted about surveys in the past, and I think the I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to our first segment here, Laura. I think that a survey is only helpful insofar as it is clear and specific. If you put a survey out and you're looking for a bunch of general information, you tend to get a lot of feedback that isn't always useful, and it's easy to dismiss and miss the really good stuff in there. But when you're in the midst of change and you know the the clear specific changes you're making and not making, you can ask good questions, which makes the the return really important. I also would add that you need to pay attention to who you're surveying. We've talked about this before too, especially in change. You need different levels of feedback. You need feedback from the people who are in the midst of the change, and then you need feedback from the people a few levels away that are seeing the pieces you're not as you go through it. And so I agree with you. So you're talking about establishing feedback loops, and the first one you know that you're offering up is formal surveys. But Laura, I've also heard you talk about the the concepts of a town hall and also a reverse town hall. Can you talk for a minute about what that looks like from a feedback standpoint? 
Well, and so everything I ever learned about town halls, I learned from Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec. <laughs> it's been at least six episodes since I brought her up, right? Yeah, I don't think she's come up this season. So let's let's go straight to to Leslie Nope. Okay, I think that's fantastic. I wanted to mean, um, I just wanted to make sure that it was okay. In all seriousness, it, whether you watch Parks and Rec or not, you can picture a scene where there's a government official in a high school gymnasium who is standing at a mic um, and providing feedback and information to a community of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, what you can do in a reverse town hall, and I think what's really important for you to think about, is making sure you're doing the opposite. You're not just providing information, you're also receiving information um, over the course of that meeting. So what can that look like? That can look like an open mic segment, which is horrifying um, and can lead to some difficult, awkward moments, um, but it's also necessary. Um, mm -hmm. So it might be a matter of saying, hey, we've got a time set aside where we're going to allow people to ask questions. Maybe it is submit questions in advance so that you have an opportunity to review them and be properly prepared to answer them. And so those people who maybe publicly don't like to use their voice have a way to submit a question um, on their own. The point would be that I think it's important as leaders, particularly when we're doing large group communication, that you're establishing a two-way dynamic um, in what you're doing. You cannot walk into a room and spend 35 minutes pontificating and showing really good PowerPoint slides that have all of the lovely um, all the lovely features of PowerPoint used um, in order to try to communicate. You also need to take the time to allow some raw and real communication to happen and to hear back from the people that are taking in what you're hearing. If it's quiet, which often happens in moments like that, maybe no one wants to be the one to ask the question or to step forward with some feedback, you can start asking questions that elicit it. You know, what did you hear me say today? What didn't I say that you would have liked to hear more about, right? The important thing is to draw people out so that you have an opportunity to assess on the spot and hear what people are really thinking about what's going on, um, both in the case of your change or just the general state of your business. And it lets you know how well you're aligning with others around you um, as, as you go about this change, because you might find out, especially if you're dealing with cultural change as opposed to process change, it starts to tell you a lot about how the culture is receiving, prepared for, and able to enact what you're suggesting. Laura, you're making a really good point, and I think part of what we're acknowledging is that because change is personal, because we are asking people to change things that directly impact them, we've got to create space for the, the feedback, knowing that some of it even is going to be the more intense feedback. People need somewhere to vent, and I'm going to go to a really low-hanging fruit illustration here, and it's the fact that with our schools this year, we're in non-stop change. So anyone who's in school administration or teaching right now, this is just a full year crash course in, you know, external change management and having to completely reinvent the internal. And there are obviously so many stakeholders in every piece of that change. And so I know for us specifically, our school board meetings, and I think this is probably true for most public school districts across the country, the school board meetings are A, a lot more frequent, and B, they're streamed online. And I have seen our school board get better, I'm be cautious with that word, but better at creating more platforms 
for people to submit questions and also giving people the actual processes for we know you have feedback, we know you have concerns, we know there's frustrations. Here are and naming here are the best ways to give those and to bring those forward. And so they've really structured that into the conversations instead of just, you know, your typical, okay, we have, you know, this space for community response or, or questions or anything else. Knowing that there's so much of it, they're making space for two, um, two direct people that have submitted and are at the meetings and offering things, but then places for people to go online and offer the things that will be addressed. You have to give people room to vent and get out those pieces. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think one of the things I want to add to that is, one, venting has a negative connotation. So let's just acknowledge that venting doesn't have to be bad. There's an element of venting that is nothing more than validation, right? It is mm -hmm. allowing folks the chance to say something out loud and to know they were heard. In fact, I want to take us to the next point of this listening part, which is to say that listening sometimes is honest to God just that. Listen. This is not asking for a fix. It's not asking for a elongated response even so i compare this to marriage it's an often noted <laughs> marriage thing right like when i carry on in the kitchen to john about something that is making me crazy um, i'm not asking him to give me three fixes that i could implement in order to make it better i am asking for him to listen and go you poor thing i am so sorry you have to deal with that what can i do Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not asking for a fix. And I think we need to give other folks the benefit of the doubt and the acknowledgement that we're all human, that a lot of times what might be perceived negatively as venting. Sometimes people just need to have the chance to know they said their piece, get it off their chests and know they were heard. And they're not necessarily even looking for you to change paths or to fix the issue. They just wanna know that they were heard and they at least had the chance to say it out loud productively. And I think it's only fair that we give people that opportunity um, to effectively communicate, particularly in times of change. And that we give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not saying everything because they want us to change and alter the course in this change we've implemented. They truly just wanna say something out loud because it's concerning them. And a lot of times in the saying it out loud, it becomes less scary. I agree with that. I'm really glad that we got there. And if I can offer really just a nuance to that in something that I've learned a lot in recent years is that when it comes to listening, there is a difference between understanding and agreement. And sometimes we, we confuse the issue because we feel like someone is supposed to listen to us or we're supposed to listen to them until we've reached agreement. And that's not always going to be the case, especially in a change process. It's not even always the goal. You need the tension. You need the the disparities to, to, to work through where you're going and what's next. But the key is you can listen until you understand what someone's saying, even if you don't agree, and even if they're not asking you to fix it, but especially when you find yourself in that place where you're going, I don't understand, then your goal immediately becomes to listen until you do, until you can repeat them, until you can make the same argument they're making. Again, whether you agree with it or not, 
you have to listen with an intentionality that says, I understand. I understand what's at stake. I've heard something. I've come to a greater realization of what's going on than I had before. And so I think that whole listening side of communication of what you're talking about, that acknowledgement, the, you know, making space for the feedback loops, um, it, it's critical. It is. It's so important. And I think the thing that we'll all find to kind of wrap up this this part of the communication discussion is that when you do a good job of communicating, like we talked in the first part of today's episode, and then when you turn around and you become a good listener, what you're doing is informing your future communication, outward communication, right? Mm-hmm. And by continuing to speak, listen, speak, listen, and create that that loop, um, in the work that you do, you're going to keep getting better and better. Um, one of the things that you cannot miss about managing change is that your stated end state, that was repetitive um, <laughs> when I said it, what you have intended as your end state, that comes out better, is um, is going to evolve. And I think that one of the most important things you can acknowledge in some upfront communications is that you might be entering a change without all of the answers and with a willingness to listen and adjust. However, there are certain things that are must achieves when you make your change. And this brings us back to what to communicate outwardly and very specifically at the beginning of our conversation. Make a point of talking about what absolutely needs to happen and then your willingness to listen and adjust along the way. And you're going to find out that you'll establish a really nice um, ongoing communication loop that adds a very healthy implementation atmosphere for your entire change. And with that in place, you're going to find out that this effective use of communication starts to come actually pretty easily. It doesn't always require fancy graphics, even though sometimes they're necessary and important. It doesn't always require you as a leader to have the perfect words. But what it does require is open, honest communication that goes both ways. And you're going to find out that you ultimately are going to have an excellent experience in change. Today on Memory Lane, we want to give a nod to the current season we are in. Now that itself opens up a debate about whether Thanksgiving is a season or a day, and hence when we can begin Christmas, but we are not here to solve those problems today. We instead would like to take you down memory lane to a Thanksgiving past. And I will say that in my married life, I mostly do Thanksgiving with my husband's family. But this particular Thanksgiving, we came to Pennsylvania to celebrate with Laura and her family and our parents and our mom's extended family. And the food was amazing. There was no shortage, and there was one item in particular that, um, let's just say, no one went without. Laura, tell us what happened. So to this day, Mom and I still joke about the year that we made 20 pounds of potatoes <laughs> for our mashed potatoes. Um, some context is probably important. No, we were not feeding 60 people that day. Um, I think I would estimate that there were probably 18 to 20 of us at that particular Thanksgiving dinner. Um, most of you that prepare Thanksgiving and even those that don't would probably guess that that is probably about 10 to 15 pounds of potato usage 
at the most, especially for a meal where there are many, many, many sides, and this is just one of them. Um, but mom and I had a little bit of a miscommunication that day um, about when we talked about how many potatoes should we make. And I remember at some point it being said, let's do two bags to be safe. Um, <laughs> We had different definitions of what two bags were when that was said out loud, admitting that I probably was the one in error because, let's be serious, we should be assuming a 10-pound bag of potatoes, right? I don't know what I was really thinking, except maybe the fact that my kids were still pretty little, so I probably only bought potatoes in five-pound bags at those times, whereas now I need like 40-pound bags to get through the week. Um, so we ended up making, using 20 pounds of potatoes. Oh yes, we turned that all into mashed potatoes on that fateful Thanksgiving day. And then we proceeded to eat those potatoes for weeks, if not months to come in the form of, you know, fried potato cakes with breakfast, the <laughs> topping to shepherd's pie, um, remashed mashed potatoes, which by the way, Thanksgiving tips and tricks if you add a little bit more milk and butter, remashing goes beautifully on a frozen potato, mashed potato bag. Um, so we learned a lot about freezing and reusing mashed potatoes that year, but it just shows how important communication is. When you say, let's make two bags, you should probably specify the size of the bag intended. I Thanksgiving think this is, 101 right here. <laughs> I think this is good. These are good tips, friends, as you prepare your Thanksgiving feast. I do want to add to that, that one of the things I remember is that, you know, y'all had done the shopping, so I wasn't around for that part. But then I do remember being in the kitchen as we were peeling these 20 pounds of potatoes. And there were several points at which we went, are these too many? Is this going to be too much? <laughs> and we just kept laughing and we just kept peeling. And so Laura, I would like to say that it, at the very least, we get credit for freeze and finish. <laughs> So. Yes, there was a lot of freezing and finishing. I'm not so sure that we aren't still freezing and finishing. So I think that is a fantastic reference to my earlier point. I also want to close this memory lane moment by acknowledging that this is evidence of how lovely our mother is. I'm positive she knew that was too many potatoes and that we were learning a lesson in the course of that event. But I'm also positive that I was being pretty forceful about let's just make them. It'll be good to have them. And mom was like, yeah, we're going to let her learn in our sweet and wonderful mom way. So what are the takeaways? Don't overdo the mashed potatoes. If you do, freeze and finish and always listen to mom. Happy Thanksgiving on this memory lane. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Please take a moment and provide us some feedback via a review that you leave on the podcast platform of your choice, or come on over and visit us on Instagram, like, follow, and share with your friends. We love our listeners and we love our new listeners. Thanks so much. We hope that this episode has helped you laugh, made you think, and let you grow in your industrious life.